1: Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Few rivalries are as unique as Florida, Georgia, one of just a handful of neutral site games played around the country. And with the undefeated Bulldogs ranked atop the poles heading to Jacksonville, it will no doubt take a special effort from Florida to topple the current king. On today's show... We'll welcome the Voice of the Gators' Sean Kelly and FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry for our roundtable chat discussing the challenges presented by UGA, adjustments made during the bye week, Anthony Richardson's pivotal role in keying a potential upset, revelations from basketball's closed scrimmage, and athletes who might have a future in coaching in the PAT. Then, Georgia native and former Bulldog Bretton Cox Jr. joins us to discuss the differences between Gainesville and Athens what it's like to play on both sides of this legendary game, and much more. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable, presented by Pet Paradise. Pet Paradise is your complete pet healthcare destination, with resort-style day camp, overnight boarding, professional grooming, and compassionate veterinary care from New Day, all located under one roof to serve pet fanatics like you. Book today at PetParadise.com, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. We are back after the bye week to dive into our Gator Roundtable. We've got The Voice of the Gators, Sean Kelly, and FloridaGators.com senior writers, Scott Carter and Chris Harry. Uh, and guys, th- this week, is a, it's a huge test. Let's start right there. There's really no way around it. Uh, Georgia is a monster of a team for Florida to try and compete against. So... From a preparation standpoint, how big of a challenge is mentally getting ready for the number one undefeated national champion
0: as Florida has had to do throughout this week? I think the challenge is even less. I think that A, it's a rivalry game. And B, I think you get a, uh, not a rare crack, but a not so common crack at a defending national champ who is the current number one. I mean, if that doesn't have your full attention, I don't know what does. Uh, and, and I think, the Gators look at this as an opportunity to play on a very big stage, which they will uh, just because of the nature of this rivalry one, but also the attention now that Georgia will draw the rest of the year. Uh, and two, it's, it's, you know, a proverbial chance to shock the world here. And because you know how good that team is um, you're razor sharp, I think in making sure you're trying to um, take care of all that is in your control. And it probably helps the Gators somewhat that they had, the bye week, and a jarring game against LSU to fully have attention focused on what needs to be done for this weekend. And and even then, it still may not be enough, but uh, to your to your question about motivation, I, I think this is probably an easier game to get ready for than many others on your schedule.
2: Yeah, I don't see any problem with attitude, energy, those things uh, to get ready. You know, you've heard it from the coaches and some players. This is why you come to Florida. It is Florida-Georgia. To me, It's uh, I've always thought it's the best game on the schedule. Not everyone's going to agree with that, but that's just me. Uh, but in terms of the football part of it, what's going to take place on the field, yeah, that's a, that's a big challenge because they're against number one Georgia, as they were last year. And Georgia, uh, they've won, what, 22 straight regular season games. So uh, that's all you need to know the way they're going right now. And this is a Florida team that, uh, has been inconsistent and uh, has yet to, well, I mean, they had the big win against Utah early in the year, but I think they're still looking for that signature SEC win. And, you know, obviously Georgia would be it in Billy Napier's first year. So, but it, it's a difficult matchup because of, it's Georgia. I mean, they're their national title contender again, but it would make for the season certainly to go over there and upset them. And, Uh, they're going to have to start with Anthony Richardson and and have him do much better than he did last year. But we maybe we'll talk about that later.
3: Yes. Scott said he thinks it's the biggest game of the year for years. It wasn't the biggest game of the year because Georgia wasn't that good. I mean, just to call it like it is. I think if you look at this, this game, Florida and Georgia right now is flip flop from where it was in the nineties. Georgia is the team that on top of all the polls uh, contending for SEC championships and Florida is trying to get back to that place, trying to get to the place where Georgia is right now. Um, You know, uh, having, having done, doing what they're doing on the recruiting trail, being much better on that front. I mean, they're, they're, they're working their way back, but um, (laughs) all you need to know is, what was the number last year? Six first round draft picks for Georgia last year. You know, we, we, we saw what we saw, how that manifested itself in the last two and a half minutes of the game last season. Like Scott said, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but, uh, uh, Fans are saying they'd love to 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 ruin Georgia's season right now. It's what they used to say back in the early '80s. It's kind of like we've gone back into a time machine. Georgia people in the '90s uh, they wanted to ruin Florida's season. They did it one time. Uh, Florida, uh, you know, put a dent in Georgia's national championship hopes, I guess, uh, in 2020 during during that season with Kyle Trask. The last time they won, but this would be a monumental upset. I mean, I can't, I can't, and I'm sure. Somebody knows the answer to this on this podcast. I don't know the last time Florida was a twenty-plus point underdog. Um, so, <laughs> uh, you know, if you are going, if you are going to the game as 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 a as a Gator fan, you are looking you are looking for a monumental surprise. But uh, probably realistically, you are you are probably going there to to have a good time and, and see how the Gators measure up against the best team in the country.
1: A few of you mentioned what happened last year for Anthony Richardson down the stretch. And I actually went back and, and watched that yesterday just to refresh myself because I think I I had blo- I was there, but I had blocked it from my memory where Florida's defense really kept him in the game early. And it, it could have been 3-0 going into the half. And then j- maybe the most catastrophic three minutes that I've ever seen. Uh, a fumble, a pick six, another interception, and all of a sudden... Florida went from being down 3 nothing with three minutes left to go and a half to being down 24 nothing. the game was over. So naturally, a lot of the the attention this year goes back to Anthony Richardson. How does he perform one year removed from his first start, which was without, you know, calling it like it is, was a, a disaster. Um, how critical is his performance going to be? And what does he need to do for Florida to have a chance to win this game?
2: Well, I think Anthony talked this week about that. Bottom line was, I mean, he, he was a guy thrown into the fire last year. First career start against the number one team in the country. It's going to be a difficult assignment for any quarterback. But uh, he said you know, he admitted he was nervous, had some jitters, a, a lot of things that he hadn't felt before playing the game. And but, he, you know, he hit, h- handled it pretty well, I thought, until those last three minutes of the first half. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're playing uh, number one or number 131, You you have. Three turnovers in a span of twelve plays that lead twenty-one points. You're probably going to lose the game, and that's what happened. The wheels fell off for Anthony the Gators there, uh, but he's more experienced. Uh, is he? He's playing better, I think, as the seasons progressed. He still showed some inconsistency in Georgia's defenses. Again, they lost uh, five first rounders off the, last year's team, but they're still loaded. Uh, Nolan Smith's back, some other guys, and names that played last year uh, i just think guys that you know i think this is a game for the gators to pull out we're gonna have to see anthony as good as we've ever seen him so to me it all all starts with him that's a lot of a lot of pressure but at the same time that's uh that's where this team is uh so we're gonna see how it shakes out i love that term shakes out he really does
3: <laughs> he really does it was those. Were, those were three touchdowns. Those are three touchdowns in 88 seconds. Slash, oh. it was three nothing, and and just it was boom, boom, boom. And Scott wrote that story about Anthony Richardson this week, and um, it it shows what what he's been up against. I think it to in in his defense a little bit. What's he started 11 games and five against ranked teams, including two. This will be two number ones. The two cracks at number one. He's yeah. Had.
2: This will be this will be his ninth career start. Oh, yeah. five them against ranked teams, and the second time against number one. A lot of <laughs> quarterbacks obviously go through their whole career without starting a game against number one. Right. So, I mean, it, it's just been a confluence of uh, events for Anthony that basically have created a lot of challenges. But, again, we've talked about this. Everybody sees that the guy is amazingly talented. He can do things that not a lot of guys do. And to beat the number one team in the country, again, he's going to be – Uh, have to be his best to maybe do some things we haven't seen him do yet. So I just think that's probably the biggest factor
0: in this matchup
2: for the Gators. How does Anthony Richardson
0: play? I I think in a lot of ways, I don't necessarily need to see something that he hasn't shown us yet. I think we've seen plenty. It just hasn't been all on the same day. Mm -hmm. Um, Give me most of Anthony Richardson versus Tennessee. Got to play clean. That means no turnovers. No turnovers. Uh, That's a – That's eluded him. Um, He's used his legs. We've seen all the things. And if he can put them all together into one game, get ready. It it could be pretty wild. Now, this Florida defense has got to, like, make a – a 180 from what we've seen, and I don't it's know. It's funny if that's we hadn't possible. even mentioned we
3: hadn't even mentioned the right. defense. <laughs> I, I, yeah,
0: thank I'm thanking the newspaper guys for burying the lead in all this. Um, <laughs> but I do think I, I do th- I I say that. But Anthony Richardson is storyline number one. Um, he has to put it all together on the same day, and then this Florida defense up against a a guy like Stetson Bennett and that tight end room, and it, oh, not a bad. Uh, but not a great running back uh, room for Georgia. I, part of me is jaded because I look at Georgia's schedule and I'm like, well, I'd like to play that schedule. Sure. Um, and, and in fact, you know, I've been kind of thinking about where we are in the season. I'm like, well, I'd sure like to see Florida get some, uh, get them some Vandy, some Auburn, maybe a little Texas A&M. I know, you know, some of those things are coming, but yeah, it has been a, a really tough schedule. And And you all mentioned the number of top 25 starts that Richardson's faced. I'd argue it's, it's more than almost any other quarterback in the country, you know, with regard to per, per start or per capita of starts. I, I'm, I'm butchering that, but you get the point. The defense has to find some way to get off the field at the right time, you know, and you can't give Georgia extra possessions. Uh, look, Missouri gave Georgia all they could handle, and then Missouri, Missouri and that's And that's basically how Georgia wins that game. I think Florida's better than Missouri. And if they are as physical and and put pressure on Bennett like Missouri did in the first half of that game at Columbia, this is not a three score game. Could end up being that way. Vegas could be right and all this, but um, let's not let's not forget, guys, that rivalry games and I and you are way more familiar with this particular rivalry, but I've seen rivalry games um, turn up things that maybe don't happen in any other week. So. You know, come Saturday, be loud and hope for hope for not a miracle, but but hope for something unique.
1: One of the things that we focused on last week was the idea of the bye week being an opportunity to address some issues that maybe you can't do in a normal week when you're, you're you have game prep for a specific opponent. Now, admittedly, Billy Napier plays things very, very close to the vest but he's spoken twice now this week. Have you guys gotten any sense of some type of changes that might be in store to make Florida look better than we've seen them in recent weeks?
2: Well, I, let's face it, guys. They have what they have to work with. Just by going with what Billy's saying, it's obvious that Kamari Wilson's been impressive to the coach and staff during the the bye and going into the Georgia game. I don't think it's a secret that we're going to see more of him. We've been seeing more of him as the season goes on, but I think they've, I mean, they've you know, they, they went back to the film room. They studied fundamentals. They've talked about alignment issues. They've talked about communication. It's stuff guys that we hear coaches say all the time. uh, And a lot of the things that maybe are specific don't even show up to us, you know, during the course of a play, but they're, they mean, they mean a lot on the field in the, in the heat of battle. So I just think guys got to play better. I mean, and there have been some out of alignment plays and guys not being where they're supposed to be so they can take care of some of those things. Will it help? Yeah, I think it will help, but are they going to come out in a new formation with a whole new front seven? Uh, No, it's not going to look like that guys.
0: Yeah. I I also don't want people to think they spent, you know, part of the bye week practicing tackling. Uh, that's just not the nature of the game. Maybe maybe back in the day, yeah, we're going to have full-on, full-tackle practices for three days heading into the off weekend. That's just not the thing anymore, and missed tackles have been a problem. Uh, I'm going through this right now with my pickup truck. You know, stuff starts going haywire in the truck, and they plug into the computer now, right? They, they don't even lift the hood. They plug in the computer, and they get, like, all these codes, right? My truck's been throwing codes, so, same thing for the Gators' defense. You know, the the airbag light has gone on. The TPS, you know, check engine light's been on. I think during the bye week, it's plug it into the computer and see what those codes are. And if you can knock out any of them, perhaps you make an improvement heading into not just the Georgia game, but the, the rest of the regular season. So, how many of those codes have they been able to fix? I don't know. As Scott alluded to, you know, maybe you tweak one personnel or Uh, two personnel spots, or perhaps the rotation looks a little different on a specific down. Uh, I think that's one thing that they can address, but at the same time, I still have my truck and they still have their players. And at the end of the day, that's what you ride with, you know, at this point in the season. Um, (laughs) Again, you got it. You're also not preparing. You're not doing film study on Georgia every day of the week for two weeks. Uh, And everybody's like, Oh, well that both teams have had two weeks to prepare for this game. Well, Kind of, they've had like a week and a day or so extra on the schedule. So uh, I don't want to get lost in the the whirlpool of cliches about bye weeks and all that. They're meant to be there, uh, not just for rest but for preparation. That's why we see LSU and Alabama always do it on their schedule before they play each other. I think it'll have some effect. It can only be positive, right? So how much positive there is, I'm, I'm not so sure. I right know.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of talk uh, this week as well about the, the future of Florida, Georgia, so much so that that both universities, athletic departments, put out a joint statement saying we're under contract through 2023. There's options for 24 and 25. We'll see what happens beyond that. Kind of a, a, a non-committal committal, something along those lines. Uh, most people know that Kirby Smart is the one driving the bus to change it because of the importance of having a couple more home recruiting weekends. I'm curious for you guys, uh, Chris and Scott, you've been to a lot of these, Sean. I know this is new for you. But how important do you think it is that Florida, Georgia remain in Jacksonville, the game stay the way it is uh, for the, the sake of tradition, for the sake of the things that we think are, are so important about college football and especially Florida football.
3: I just don't think you can be a, a, a you know, a servant to, tr- to, uh, to tradition anymore because things are just changing as we, as we adv- advance in the, in the years. I mean, I, it's, it's a great game over there. It's a great environment. But, um, but I mean, there's been there's been great rivalries that have died uh, over the course of the last couple decades through conference expansion. People, are, how come Texas and Texas A and M can't play? When's the last time they played? I mean, Sean probably has a better idea than I do, right? On, on that, I mean. But that that was a hell of a rivalry. I mean, every week, uh, Nebraska, Oklahoma, um, those were those were must see games, and they're gone. Um, it doesn't surprise. It would not surprise me if something happened along the lines of of moving the game out of Jacksonville. But uh, this may also be posturing on the part of of either side, just wanting to get more out of Jacksonville, mm-hmm. whether, uh, you know, some people have said that, you know, they want they want to see some some cruise liners come in there and start getting more people down around the riverfront, uh, you know, for, the, for for that game weekend. Maybe maybe that's I don't I don't I don't know. But I do know this. I was here in the 90s. I saw the game. In Gainesville, I saw the game in Athens. It was really, really cool. Both of those times, those were epic nights. They were two lopsided games, but there was a lot of buzz uh, when Georgia came to Gainesville and 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 Florida went to Athens. I wouldn't mind seeing that again, but um, you know, it's it's a it's a great tradition to play that game up there. Uh, I think it all changed when Spurrier got here and threw down the gauntlet and said the excuses are over. We play in a in the state of Florida in a place called the Gator Bowl. We drive a bus and they have to take a plane down there to our state. I don't want to hear this anymore. I don't want to hear any complaining about it. We should, we should win this game. And they did 11 out of 12 times. Um now the tide has turned and it's not because the game's in Jacksonville. Georgia wasn't losing the game. Remember they say, well, we we Georgia was the one who moved out of out of Jacksonville back in the nineties because they were losing the game every year. Right. Right. Okay. And so we need to play it in Atlanta every other year, or you know, let's start flipping. You know, I, I don't want to hear that anymore. Either play the game in Jacksonville like it has been, or do something with the with the with with the home and home situation. Maybe do that every every five or ten years. That would be kind of cool, actually. Um, I don't know where it's going to go, but uh, it's it's certainly something that's worth debating. And I'm sure it makes great talk radio fodder up there in Jacksonville, right? now.
0: You know, It's interesting, Kirby Smart's base for his argument here is that it takes away the chance for one of the home teams to host recruits. I've been looking at George's recruiting classes here of late. Uh, Seemingly, I don't think it's had that great of an effect on the uh, level of player or the uh, number of high-caliber players that the Bulldogs have been able to get into Athens. They seem to be doing um, just fine, right? To me, that rings a little hollow. Um, Follow the money here, gentlemen. And ladies who are listening, that's part of it. Um, and, you know, I, I like to think that maybe traditions can stay alive a little bit. But look, all this, all this gets affected by two more teams, if not more, coming into the conference and decisions being made on how many conference games we're all going to play moving down the road. So all the noise is great, but until you have that in, in the file folder to make your decision – uh, the conversation's kind of silly, if you ask me. I kind of – of everything that Chris and Sean just
2: said, I like what Sean said right at the end. I mean, I've, we've been around long enough where this does pop up on occasion. And it's like you kind of roll your eyes. It seems to get a little, little more severe each year because Kirby Smart keeps driving that train. And, look, I get it. I was looking at Georgia's notes today. They've sold out 62 consecutive games at Sanford Stadium. Wow. Uh, it'd be a huge home field advantage, but as to your their point, it's not obviously hurting Georgia's recruiting. Uh, I'm for there's good tradition and there's bad tradition. I think this is a great tradition. I'd like to see it stay in Jacksonville, but been around the block long enough. We all know when there's this much chatter, eventually it will probably shift in some way. I just hope that Jacksonville still has a piece of it. Uh, but I, I was like Tris. I remember I wasn't at the game in Georgia in '95, but I was at the game in Gainesville '94. In Still one of the best ro- or atmospheres I've ever been in. Darren Hambrick running down the field like a crazy guy on an 87 yard at place is going crazy.
3: It was a night game, and it, it was a night game, and it was insane. It was the first time the game had been in Gainesville. In, I think it was 63 years. So wow. it was, a, it was, a, it, was a, it was, it was a big deal. To, and if it if it comes back here again, it will. It'll be a big deal again, but if it's every other year, you know, it, won't, it won't be that big a deal.
1: Before we move on to our PAT, I, I did want to get a, a quick update from you, Chris. We talked last week about basketball's first scrimmage, their first opportunity to, uh, to go against someone other than themselves. I know you are, this is like when there's an embargo on a, on a movie review and you have to share sentiment about the movie, but not the review itself. So tell us uh, from this closed scrimmage what you can about what you saw.
3: <laughs> Todd Golden was asked about the scrimmage against uh, Miami, the close scrimmage on Saturday, and uh, he himself said he is. I don't know the details. I can give out, and and the rules are are crazy. It's got the compliance rules with this that are like NIO rules right now. Nobody, what the hell's <laughs> supposed to go on? But um, I, I, I can say there are some things that they did well, and some things that they did that they w- that they want to do better. Um, they didn't they didn't shoot the ball particularly well from the three point line, which was a problem last year. Kweisi Reeves did. He looked really, really good. He was one of the best players on the floor that day. Um, They turned the ball over too many times, uh, but having said that, Kyle Lofton, who will be the starting point guard, did not play in the game. He was cleared medically on Monday to do everything, and he will play in the next close scrimmage, which will be Saturday at Jacksonville. Um, Defensive rebounding was a problem again. It was last year, and if you ask Todd Golden, he wants – if, he, if there's two things he wants to improve uh, from what he's seen on tape from last year's team, not that they take away a lot because these are obviously two different teams that are going to be coached completely differently, but he wants to defensive rebound much better and he wants to shoot the three much better. Uh, uh, Sean and I were at practice yesterday. We talked about this. The Gators have to have – to, we don't – you can't shut, jack up a bunch of three-point shots if you're a bad three-point shooting team. We, it remains to be seen how good Florida is going to be As a as a three point shooting team this year, they got a couple guys who are capable, um, but we'll know more from from the Jacksonville scrimmage this week. It it, he told them yesterday, this is a team that has uh, uh, three people with heavy Gator ties on the team, and they'll go up play a road game, a true road game. They don't have a lot of those in non conference play this uh, this season, obviously, Um, but they'll go up there and play against Jordan Mincy, a former assistant coach here, who recruited some of these guys. Uh, 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 Omar, Omar Payne is the center on that team. Uh, Osai Osifo, uh, another player who's on that team. So those are three guys that played with some of the players on this team. So, you know, they're going to want up there. This will, this will be a big game for them. So Florida has to go in there with a little bit of a mentality that, you know, they're going to, you know, they're going to try to prove, get get something proven to them by these guys in Jacksonville. So it'll be another good measuring stick. But then after that, it'll be uh, 10 days out till the season opener against Stony Brook next Tuesday, They'll have an orange and blue scrimmage kind of peek behind the curtain or or merely a raise of the curtain, maybe, so people can kind of see a little bit about this team. But uh, we're getting a lot closer and it's a it's an exciting time for the start of the Todd Golden year.
1: No question. Look forward to hearing more as the uh as the team progresses and builds toward that opener that you mentioned against Stony Brook. I want to turn our attention now to the PAT. And guys, here's how I know that I'm getting old. I'm getting old because more and more I'm seeing athletes that I watched play become coaches and managers. So when I was younger watching games, and I'd see who the coaches were, and you know, my dad would say, oh yeah, he played for so-and-so. I'd be like, oh man, that's that's forever ago. Well, now we've kind of switched places. Now I recognize that these are all guys I watched play when I was growing up. Um, but I thought about this because the Marlins just hired Skip Schumacher to be their new manager, um, to manage that team in front of the hundreds of fans that come to see them play. Uh, and it got me thinking about current athletes that you think would be great managers great coaches in the future so who are some players that that you've identified as maybe maybe potential stars coaching down the road well
2: the two that jump out at me are Kyrie Irving and Antonio Brown I mean I think (laughs) both guys uh, measure yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay I'll I'll ask these guys Take the charge here.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll jump in and just say you say what stars. First of all, stars don't make good coaches as That's a That's true. That's true. Um um it's because I mean it's why you know, look at think of Magic Johnson as a coach. Think of some of these some of these guys that were that were that were great players. They don't want to get into coaching because th- they see a team and they see players that can't be as great as they are and they don't relate. Very well to it. Mm-hmm. I'm a person who believes it's the guys. Now you can have great college players, but when they start getting into the pros and stuff, it's usually the guys that have to spend a lot of times with coaches, as in us on the sidelines, that end up being really, really good coaches. I, I'll, I'll just mention Steve Spurrier is a perfect example of this. He was in the NFL for nine seasons and hardly ever played, but kind of saw how things worked on the sidelines. And John Gruden used to talk about mental reps mental reps. These guys are getting mental reps. Um, I saw, I I think about two of the best coaches in the NFL are Sean McDermott and Mike Tomlin. Do you remember those guys from their careers as, as they both played on the same college team at William and Mary. Okay. Hmm. And they were teammates on that and became two of the best coaches in the NFL. Obviously Mike Tomlin's won a Super Bowl, but I was kind of thinking about, and this is totally hypothetical. I don't know if these guys have any interest in being coaches at all, but, a guy who's a career backup quarterbacks usually make make the. How about a guy like Colt McCoy, who's yeah. been on a lot of teams, um, who had a really good college career, um, but has been with a lot of coaches, and all of a sudden, you know, maybe that's the direction he ends up going. I don't know if he will. He's still he's still a backup in the NFL right now, but uh, uh, in terms of great players, uh, um, you know, it's usually in baseball. It's usually the the catcher right becomes yeah. a pretty. Pretty damn good uh, manager, Sometimes. I think down the line. So I don't know who those guys are. Maybe you I, I don't know if Yair Molina will be a great manager, or even if, if he wants to. But he's maybe too good a player. He's a Hall of Famer. It, it's probably going to have to be a, a, a some guy that had a, that had a decent career, but not a great career. Because I, I just think I just think the greatest players. You know, Don Mattingly is an exception. I think not that he was a great manager by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but uh, uh, the great players. Don't make don't make the great uh, head coaches. I don't think.
1: What about Steve Nash? What about Jason Kidd? I mean, there are some great players. Um, Steve Kerr was I'd say Steve Kerr is a pretty great player, right? He's good at what he did.
3: He was really good player, but I wouldn't know if it, he's not a he's not a great player. I don't think he was a really good role player. And is Steve Nash a good coach? Are you are we already declaring him a good? Yeah, coach? I guess he's
1: not a great coach. Right. Right. Yeah, that's probably that's fair um,
3: The NBA is a little different. De- mean, Billy Donovan's a good example of a guy who couldn't make it in the pros. A great college player. But sat next to uh, uh, Rick Pitino, you know, and and kind of kind of got groomed on that front. So, um, but I, I I guarantee Sean Sean has some thoughts on this. I know.
0: Yeah, I you know I think as far as like superstars go, Chris Paul might be a candidate just really because. Good. Yeah, really I cool. think that he sees the game differently than most anybody in the league. So from the tactician standpoint, he's shown his chops as a a leader just by being the head of the players association which is a political quagmire in itself. So mm-hmm. and that's basically what being a head coach now or a manager has become. It's it's as much political or managing personalities as anything else. So I agree with you all in that the greats, the superstars of superstars have had trouble with that. I you know, I spent the first part of my NBA career with Byron Scott and while Byron Scott did I think pretty well as an NBA head coach there was always a wall. There was always some there was an always an end to it because um, much like Bird or Johnson or some of the other greats have tried to coach. It's hard for a guy like Byron Scott to to not understand maybe that somebody can't work like he did or get that step on your throat mentality like he did. That it was his role with those Lakers teams. So um, I watched that. Bird was a decent coach. Yes, no, but, when the, but, but when the for
3: a while, but for a while, yes,
0: for a while, it had a shelf life, just like Byron. Right. And also as the players have changed and I'm not talking about their abilities on the floor, I'm talking about the, their makeup and how they go about their work. Uh, and sometimes it's better. And sometimes it's not, that's when bird kind of like, Hey, I can't quite identify with this generation anymore. Um, smart enough to go move up to the front office, but yeah, time after time, we've seen this. it's, I don't want to say it's in the same – this is apples and oranges here, but how many college coaches do we see try and go coach at the professional level, and it's an abject disaster? Yeah. Uh, In in some ways, it might be similar in that sense. I mean, I'm looking at just – I'll just take basketball because Chris mentioned the football guys, but, you know, uh, Greg Popovich, Mike Budenholzer, uh, the elite coaches right now, uh, Billy, um, you know, Brad in in Boston, all those guys (laughs) – None of those cash for NBA guys, of, you know, of note. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know what the formula is there. I think I think there are some out there that, that could be. I guess Chris came to my mind when you popped this question to us a little bit earlier today.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you guys don't buy the the Kyrie Irving and Antonio Browns, I mean, <laughs> I know, you know, I, I do everything that Sean and Chris just said has rung true. And, oh, yeah, I was just looking up, like, the managerial, Matchup in the World Series here. Dusty Baker was actually a very good player for a long time. Yes, Uh, yes. He he's kind of a rare exception who is stuck around and you know as a player. But the guy, uh, Rom Thompson for the Phillies. I'm looking up his career stats. Uh, He was in the (laughs) Class A ball at Lakeland. Uh, Was about his best season. One home run, twenty two RBIs. But he made a huge difference with the Phillies this year after Joe Girardi. Who's an established major leaguer and proven manager? Uh, you know, got can so it, it's a fascinating. Uh, you know, when you really do study it, but I was some names that popped up like Spark Anderson, not a player, great manager. He was a player, but never did anything. Tony Dungy's a coach who you Tony know Dun- is a, a, a pretty good NFL, uh, I guess, role player. Had great coaching career. You guys mentioned Steve Kerr, a guy who I I dealt with a lot in hockey. John Tortorella. Wasn't a player, but man, he motivates and now he's still only, I think he's fifteen now. So it just works different, but it does seem true that most of the time the great coaches, managers are guys who were role players, bench players are just just guys who were around and learned from learned all they could and they got their chance and made a difference. And I think that's a great example is uh, Rob Thompson with the Phillies this year. Wayne
3: Wayne Gretzky wasn't a bad coach, was he?
2: He, he he had he had a moment there.
3: They got to the finals, uh, didn't
2: they? Gosh, I gotta have to look it up. I do remember him making a run uh, in the playoffs one year, but it, you know he didn't last long. Just kind of like Magic and right uh, some of. The, I think the, it'd be an interesting. The greatest player in any sport, it also was a great coach. Who is it?
3: So there's got to be a, there's got to be a coach somewhere who was a player who's in the Hall of Fame in. Uh, as a player in the pros. And then, I mean, Bill Belichick didn't play, you know, he was, you know, so I don't don't know. Don Shula was a decent player, if I recall.
2: I'm doing, well, if you're just, if you're doing pro, yeah, just pros, but I think Spurrier's in the conversation just in sports history. Mm -hmm. Only one of three guys ever in the college football hall of fame as a player and a coach, right. Or four guys.
3: I think it's three. He might be the fourth. Yeah.
1: Bringing us back to where we started, Uh, our our focus of the panel is going to be squarely on Jacksonville this coming weekend. It's Florida. It's Georgia. Make sure to check out Sean's call of the game and all the content that Chris and Scott are going to be churning out at FloridaGators.com. Guys, thank you so much. And we will see you on the banks of the St. John's River. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, guys. Florida, Georgia is always a heated battle for players on both sides. But what about for someone who has actually played on both sides? Brenton Cox Jr. has that rare distinction. And then adding in the fact he grew up outside Atlanta and was a UGA fan as well, his perspective is more layered than a bloomin' onion. We spoke to the recent graduate and current menace of the D-line about his unique path to Gainesville, starting from the beginning.
4: I'm the youngest child of three. Um, I grew up in the Georgia. I came from an um, athletic household. My older sister played basketball. My older brother played football. So it was kind of destined for me to play football at this level. Um, my dad grew up a Georgia fan. That's how we knew for a long time. Atlanta Hawks, Atlanta Braves, you know, kind of like a whole hometown kid. You know, that's all I knew.
1: You said you came from an athletic family. You were the youngest. Why mm. was why was football the route for you? What was it about football that really got you going?
4: It was actually football and basketball. And basketball. And okay. track sometimes, you know, um... That's just all we did year-round. My mom, you know, she made it a responsibility of mine, you know, to uh, play sports and take care of my schoolwork. Um, So that was all we pretty much did. And I always looked up to my older brothers and sister um, with playing sports because they were so dominant at the game when I was coming up. So, you know, I followed behind in their footsteps, and here I am today.
1: How did you end up on the line? Were you always a lineman? How did that end up your uh,
4: your position of choice? Um, I actually played every position. I played running back, quarterback, um, middle linebacker. I I even tried to play cornerback at once. I played tight end. Mm. Um, but defensive end, <laughs> it kinda stuck out to me because I was actually a tight end for a while. So my freshman year of high school, I was going to all camps for tight end as a tight end. And I was just looking at the guys and they just looked so much more swift than I was. So I was like, Hey, let me just let me just switch over to defense and that's when I found my bread and butter. I was actually playing middle linebacker and I found that I could rush off the edge. So I've been playing DN for a while.
1: Strong. So okay, I want to go take you back to the recruiting process. When you were coming out of high school, what was the process like for you? Was Georgia always where you wanted to go? How did that play out for you?
4: Uh yeah, growing up, my family members always uh put Georgia on the pedestal. I had Georgia posters in the in the in my room, um, Atlanta Falcons. So everything, like I said, was sitting around Georgia. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be in that mix. But as far as just recruiting wise, I found so many other places that I, me and my mom mm-hmm. and my family, we liked it so much. And that's when I ended up committing to Ohio State. And I thought I was going to go there for a while, but then I just got homesick and started um, back down to Georgia. That's how that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, As far as me staying there, that's just a whole different story. But yeah, that's how that happened. Me going from um Ohio State to Georgia.
1: So ultimately, when you made the decision to transfer, why was Florida the right place? Because for a lot of people, they would say, wait a minute, you you played for Georgia, now you're going to Florida. That you know, people think that's crazy. Why was that the, the right move for you?
4: Um, see, as I was saying, I didn't really understand like how it was a big deal at first, but now, you know, looking back into it now that I know like, okay, well, this is actually a, a lifelong honey year rivalry now I'm looking back into it. Me and my mom, we were just like, where's all the hate coming from? Because we've seen the guy. <laughs> we've seen, like, four other guys transfer to other schools. And I finally did it. we like, whoa, like, what is going on here? But at the end of the day, it was the best decision for me and the coaching. Um, Ty Grantham, he actually recruited me out of high school. And he recruited a lot of my older buddies that I looked up to out of Atlanta, Georgia, that played defensive end like um, Sweat that played for the Commanders now, Jonathan Renard. um Preston Smith, a lot of those guys, you know, it, it was out of Atlanta. So I kind of been looking into Florida because he was also at Mississippi State. So when he came to Florida, it was like a no-brainer. I also knew a lot of people here already going going to different camps, um, different prospect camps. So I felt at home. I felt comfortable. Um, I have a lot of family. My mom's side is from Tampa, Florida. So I'm already familiar with Florida. Um, and it just felt like home.
1: What have been the biggest differences that you've felt between Florida and Georgia, whether it's, you know, campus life, the programs themselves, what's been the biggest difference in your experience?
4: Hmm. The biggest difference in my experience, I would say the weather, the people, it's just a different vibe Um, from Florida and Georgia. uh, You get like a more cooler vibe down here. Being from Georgia, I've been there I would say 18 years. And I, I could tell you the difference between Florida and Georgia is also the trees and, and the scenery. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's a big thing for mental health, for you to stay healthy outside of football. So it's a it's a lot that goes into it. It's mm-hmm. a lot that goes into it set of as just a football field. And that's what I want people to understand, especially recruits. I want them to understand that, you know, it's not all about what you can do on the field It's outside of that, too.
1: So it, it sounds like the culture really welcomed you in. When you got to Florida, who were some of the guys that really took you under their wing and made you feel part of the program so quickly?
4: Um, It was a lot of Georgia guys, actually. Um, Damian Pierce, Jonathan Renard, uh, Trey Dean, um, Emory Jones, Andrew Chatfield. He's from Miami. But it was a lot of guys that I knew in that 2018 class who welcomed me in. And it was just it was all love. You know, I talked to them. To they to the crew that was here already before them. And, you know, I was just trying to figure out like who, what Florida is, how can I, how, how's the best way to move around Florida? Cause I'm new around here and they all showed me love. They gave me good advice and I, I'm thankful for it. Hmm.
1: So you guys are coming off the bye week, the first one of those under this new staff. And we've heard so much about how things now are different than they were. What was the last week and a half like since the LSU game as you guys went into that bye and then started getting
4: ready for this weekend? Um, you know, um going into a going to a bye week, you know, all you really want to think about is relaxing. But when you have games like this coming up, it's kinda of like, okay, less relaxing and we need to try to take advantage of this time that we have off. So it was like a lot of studying of film, um watching certain guys. Trying to find any weak point we can. Trying to find anything, you know, um, to give us a jump over this, over these guys in in the next game, cause they are number one for a reason. Um, and you know, it just it's about week, but it was work put in as well.
1: How many guys do you still know from UGA, or if most of them cycled through at this point, is this is this game really charged for you because of that?
4: Um, I know quite a few guys. Um, it is a younger team than um guys. When I was there, it was, it was a younger team. Um, I mean, an older team. A lot of those guys went to the league already. Uh, I know quite a few guys, though. I mean, Robert Bell for one. I mean, that was my roommate. Obviously, Chris Smith, um, Kiers Jackson, um, Warren McClendon. He was there when I was there. Um, it's, it's just a lot of guys. Stetson Bennett as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It's still personal a little bit, but not really. I mean, I'm, I'm here to play a game. I'm here to do a job just like they are. Mm-hmm. And that's it. So there's, there's been a lot of talk recently about
1: the game possibly leaving Jacksonville. It's been there forever. We've heard a lot of outsiders comment on it. From a player standpoint, how special is it? When you're on that field with the 50-50 split, does it feel really different for you? Or when you're in the game, does it not make that much of a difference?
4: I mean, it, as far as color-wise, yeah, you know what side to turn to. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> as far as like, Being ninety thousand, scroll. You know, everybody in the SEC is pretty much doing the same thing every week. Uh, Most of the stadiums are being packed out every weekend. So, Mm -hmm. as far as the state, as far as the fan base, is different because you get to see. Okay, I'm on this side, Georgia side. I'm on this side, Florida Gators side. So, you know, then you got people with shirts down the middle that split. So, I mean, it's fun. I think it's it's more fun for the fan base than it is for the players, as far as like that, the Mm -hmm. mutual excitement because mm-hmm. everybody can't make it to both. But I felt like if you was to move it from one stadium to the other, it would still probably look the same, to be honest. I mean, the fans will come out, and they would probably just switch the shirts, you know? So <laughs> it really wouldn't make a difference in moving. I think being in Jacksonville, you know, um, it's just an organized sighting. because I, now that I think about it, um, it, it really wouldn't change. Everybody would still probably pack it out 50-50. Hmm.
1: Final question for you. Uh, it's a very simple one. Actually, I guess it's kind of a it's a tough question to answer, but it's an easy one on the surface. What would it take to win this game? You talked about them. They're number one for a reason. What's it going to take for you to pull off what would be a, a huge upset?
4: It's going to take a lot of grit. It's going it's to take a lot of mental toughness. And it's going to take for all 11 to, to, to be... They just got to be ferocious in their attack. All 11 on both sides of the ball. And... Then we got a ball game. As far as winning, that that's you know that's that's up to both teams. You know, it 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 matters over the whole program. But if we come ready to go, it should be a game. That's all I can say. I can't I can't prove it. I say we can do this to win because, like I said, they're number one for a reason. So we got to come ready to play.
1: Well, Brenton, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. We wish you a lot of luck in Jacksonville.
4: For Sure, I appreciate it. I'll take care.
1: And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting florida.gators.com. Then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales.